Good morning, everyone. It is Monday, January 18th, 2016, and this is, of course, the Monday Morning Analyst. My name is Luke Thomas, Senior Editor at MMAFighting.com. Thank you so much for joining me. I'm so happy to have you, happy to be here as well. Um, big treat for you guys today, helping me out for the first time ever on this podcast. I'm going to tag team in uh, the Fight Network's Analyst Robin Black, you guys know him, one of the best analysts in the game right now. Um, such a treat to have him, such enthusiasm, such zest for life, zeal for the game, um, any number of superlatives you can heap on the guy. Now, we only get to about 40 minutes to talk, for which I apologize. 40 minutes is still a decent amount, but I could have gone much, much longer. So let me just say this, we're going to get him on again, or we'll have an unlimited time amount that we'll go um, with. For this time, You know, he, I had some scheduling conflicts, as did he, so we stuffed in about 40 minutes plus for you guys, um, hope that's okay. If it's not, uh, I apologize, but I'll make sure to get you guys some more of Robin Black um, very, very soon. So thank you so much for watching. Let's get right to it. Let's talk about some Dillashaw versus Cruz. going to take us a long time to break this one down, but no better place to start than right here with Mr. Robin Black. Watch this. All right, so I promised a big guest. You can see him. You heard about it on Twitter. The one and only Fight Network's Robin Black. Robin, so here's the deal. Cruz Dillashaw, too big to do on my own, needed some help. We're going to tag you in, and you're going to help us today. Thank you so much for being here. I'm super excited about this. This should be fun. Me too, man. Thanks for having me. I'm a big fan of your work, and uh, you have a killer work ethic, and you uh, are a smart dude, and I know this is going to be fun. The feeling is only mutual. So let's do this. Let's start from the top of the card. We'll work our way down. I didn't mention this to you before we started the show. Um, We're going to go through the whole card at the end, so don't tell me now. I mean, it's pretty obvious who it might be, but don't tell me now. At the end of the breakdown, you're going to give us your fighter of the card. So like in soccer, they always say man of the match. Who was the best person, irrespective of position, who played the game today? So from last night, when it's all over, you tell me who the fire of the card is. So just keep that in the back back of your mind, and right. we'll get to that one. Okay. So, okay. of course, UFC uh, Fight Night 81 took place on Sunday, January 17th, at the TD Garden in Boston, Massachusetts. The attendance about 12,022 people for a gate of $1.3 million. Actually, a pretty good gate here. So let's just kick things off here. In the main event, Dominic Cruz defeated TJ Dillashaw via split decision with scores of 48-47, 46-49, and then 49-46. Very, very bizarre scorecards. Before we get into some of the technique stuff, I'll start mm-hmm. the things off this way. How'd you score it and why? Um, well, we thought going in, one of the potential things that you could have seen was that uh, Dillashaw would win rounds four and round five. Because uh, Cruz, among the uh, issues that he's dealt with, when you have years off, there's a there's conditioning aspects, like very real physiological conditioning aspects. You can do certain things without a leg, but you are not going to be necessarily the same athlete you were before. So he's smarter. We know he's smarter. We know he's reverse engineered his game. We know all this kind of stuff. But there might have been the slowdown issue, and it was barely there. It was there. You had a couple of leg kicks. It was there. So kind of thought he might lose rounds four and five, rounds which I felt he did. And rounds one, two, and three, I, they were so close, and I was so into it that I didn't really score them at the time. But with those smart, perfectly timed takedowns in rounds two and three, I kind of implied to myself that Cruz had won them. Um, I also, like, talking about judging is a whole other thing um, and bias because Cruz ran a lot and landed slight shots, and we all kind of thought he won. And when Condit kind of did that, everybody kind of thought he lost. And you know what I mean? But also, those, there are a dozen people on the planet that are truly qualified to score that fight. 
and none of those dozen people were among the, among the three guys who did. Right. So, That's a good point. you know, I, I, I to, to some degree now, I don't even really care. I mean, are you fighting to try to be the best martial artist in the moment? Or are you fighting to try to get two of the three guys sitting at cage side who may or may not know anything about fighting to see it your way? And I think a lot of fighters now are leaning towards just being the best martial artist they can. And that's why I think Condit loved his fight so much and was so proud of it because he knew he was the best fighter he could be. So did you score it for Cruz? I leaned... I felt like Cruz could have won those first three rounds yeah. uh, at the time. Yeah. Uh, and I was watching it back this morning, and again, I wasn't scoring it so much as I was just kind of reveling in how cool it was. You yeah. know? So, but I felt like he could have won those first. So I went back and I watched it this morning. My score didn't change, but man, the first two rounds, I felt okay. I, I feel good about giving those to Cruz, however tight and close it was. The last two rounds, as Cruz's movement really suffered for whatever reason, fatigue, um, that plantar fascia tendonitis that he mentioned in reference after the fight or, or you know, just general punishment he was taking to. Um, those rounds I felt really good about giving, giving to Dominic Cruz. That third round, I went back and watched, and I was like, okay, why did I give it to Cruz? I don't know. <laughs> because T.J. Yeah. Dillashaw was really good in the initial parts of that round. I thought his movement was um, very clever, but the... Dominic Cruz has a strong ability to steal rounds late. In that third round, he poured on some of the offense a little bit more with his hands, backing T.J. Dillashaw up a little bit. In the fifth round, I still gave it to Dillashaw on the second viewing. But if you yeah. go back and you watch the fifth round, Cruz, even there, is still trying to score a lot very late. I mean, I don't know if it's intentional or the way he you know, competes for the judges, but it has a, it has a way of capturing your imagination, even if that takedown, um, you know... The, Let's get into this for just a second, if we can. The takedowns. So, first of all, there's an achievement to be had there because just getting TJ down is its own, you know, Herculean task. Timing them so beautifully as he's coming in, um, just really covering the hips, grabbing behind the knee. Really great job. To me, it's kind of interesting because if that was a the takedown you would saw in a normal fight, most people would say, "Well, you know, what value is it?" But in a fight where every punch is so critical and every duck and dodge is so essential to just get a guy's hips to the floor, to me, mm. it counts in those kinds of contexts. What's your sense about the value of the takedowns that Cruz landed in those fights? In that fight, first of all, they, they were amazing. Um, and when you said whether or not he's playing to the judges, the guy is brilliant. Like, he's absolutely brilliant. Everything he's doing is calculated. Um, and Sugar Ray Leonard used to go back and realize he doesn't need to win a fight. He needs to make two of the three guys sitting at the side of the ring feel that he won the fight to win. And so he changed his game fully. He just won the last 30 seconds and felt no matter what was happening in a fight, if he could pour it on in those 30 seconds, then take his minute to recover, he'd get two or three of those guys to see it his way. And he brought in judges to watch him spar and score it and to study them. So 100% Cruz knows what he's doing with that. People could say those takedowns, uh, if he didn't get them, maybe he loses those rounds. And that's why he gets them. He gets them. You know, he doesn't kind of get them or maybe get them. And they are built entirely off the whole big picture of the game. Like, everything he does works together. There are so many layers you have to deal with. Um, like, from the outside, the outside layers, you got to get to him. In getting to him, you're going to be off balance. 
if it's really hard to get to him, whether you get emotionally frustrated or technically frustrated or you just feel that need to get him later in the round, it's easier to take you down. You're charging forward. You're not, you know, dealing with your defensive assignments that you should be doing because your brain is, is defaulting to, i got to get my hands on him. I'm running out of time. Or, you know, you can do it logically because you need to win the round. You can do it angrily because that little guy has irritated you. You can do it out of pride. But when you go too hard at him, he that's when he takes you down. You look back to um, Demetrius Johnson. There's beautiful takedowns. And Demetrius, actually, th that fight had a lot of similarities to Demetrius. At the times where he couldn't quite keep that whole game sort of, he spins a lot of different plates at the time, like those acrobats spinning all those plates. And then one of them wobbles a little bit, then he takes you down. And uh, so those takedowns are, are created by him being so hard to touch. So you try to touch him harder, and then it's easy for him to take you down. And he's a brilliant wrestler. Indeed, he's a brilliant wrestler. You know, actually, credit to both guys, and credit to TJ Dillashaw. He was getting taken down. Wow, the, the the base on these guys. My God, it was like trying to it was like trying to bathe a cat in the bathtub. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. They were yeah. just squirming yeah. and putting their hands out and finding a way to get their knees under them and then get to their feet and break hand control and get away. And, you know, and I think both guys realized once they were, had achieved a certain level of base under them, built a structure to stand. It's better to just not waste too much energy. Still, nevertheless, that there was this one sequence. I, I remember. I can't remember what round it was. Maybe three or four. Cruz gets Dillashaw down. Dillashaw spins, tries to do the bit where he puts the hand on the far side of the, the rib and then corkscrew underneath. Cruz reads it, tries to come around, and TJ Dillashaw still keeps spinning, finds another angle underneath himself, uh, and gets his knees under there. Both guys, man, it really made... Um, to your point, I think it's an excellent point. Like, who can judge this fight credibly? Who is who is truly qualified to be that guy out there? It, it there's a handful of people on the planet yeah. who know what they're doing, who can watch that and say, okay, that guy won, that guy lost. Matt Hume would be one of those guys who comes to mind. Not, not that you have to fight, but he's fought and trained and coached and analyzed and brought the the the, um, the martial arts to a high level. I do this all day, every day for eight years, ten years. I thought uh, this is. I'm obsessed with this. I'm on a course of constant learning, and I would not put myself in that spot. I would say I'm not qualified to do this. Um, that's the arrogance, I think, of the idea of being a judge. How on earth do you think you're qualified to do this? Our fans do it all the time too. People are like, well, you know, um, Robbie Lawler landed the harder punches. Your eyes lie to you. Your eyes tell you lies about damage. Oh, sweat goes, or Lawler winds up harder. But if it catches the arm, I mean, there's a there was a moment in in um, Condit Lawler where from the camera angle you see Lawler's elbow drive into Condit's face, but you wind it back and you look. Condit drives into his face, and Lawler's the guy moving forward. I just use that fight as an example because it's so interesting. This one falls into that same thing. They're two of the best fights you're ever going to see. They're both in January. They're both razor close. I mean, fighting right now is pretty incredible. But uh, it's it's interesting. There's so many things about fights like this where you can look and see the level that they're at. And just we're only talking about the wrestling so far. And the wrestling is one of those things. There's this weird people who don't wrestle or haven't really immersed in wrestling would be like, this guy's takedown defense is really good. Or this guy's offensive wrestling is good, but his, his defensive wrestling. Wrestling doesn't work that way. Wrestling is a nonstop fluid thing when done at a high level, which is when you saw Uriah Faber take Cruz down, he would take him down, Cruz would reverse him, and Cruz would end up on top. 
Wrestling isn't the thing that happens when you grab a hip or the, or the back touches. Wrestling is the thing that happens until the moment that someone surrenders the position. Mm. And guys like this just don't surrender them. If they dis- didn't decide to disengage, they would continue wrestling until the end of the round, never giving it up. And that's what Olympic-level, high-level wrestlers do. So in the wrestling exchanges, it's like by the end of it, they felt – okay, this guy is a lot of work. If we're going to spend the whole time here, one of us is going to get tired. And it was almost like it ended up being a wash, and they decided, I'm not going to win. Neither guy felt they could win there. But Cruz used it to score points uh, with those judges. Yeah, and for me, Cruz usually uses the wrestling a little bit more effectively. But credit to TJ Dillashaw shutting it down. You know, a lot of guys in those fourth and fifth rounds against Cruz will be like, well, I keep getting taken down. I'll take more risks on the feet because I have to. And Dillashaw never put himself in that kind of deficit. I really enjoyed that. Let's talk about some of the striking things that we saw that we enjoyed. I'll say two things. For me, Dillashaw... Um, you know, I went back and when I watched it the second time, I wanted to pay more attention to him. I think the first time I was just watching Cruz more. I don't, I don't know. I guess to see what he would look like. Second time around, I said, let me watch Dillashaw more. I love the fact that at first he was kind of getting popped at the end of combinations. You know, Dominic Cruz, very long, kind of throws that hook way, way outside. Um, and as he was exiting combinations, Dillashaw did a much better job, more so to the right side than the left side, of really realizing Cruz is going to pop in and, and then angle out as he always does and then catch him at the end of the combination with the high kick. Now, I don't think too many of them landed flush, but they let him know he was paying attention to it and that they knew what direction he was going. I really enjoyed that. I, I thought, you know, Dillashaw did a great job um, just showing a lot of different switch stance looks giving the power side a lot when he needed to, to corral Cruz when he could. Um, I thought a lot of his, uh, he did a lot of zigzag movement in, to, to get inside. And sometimes, like the shifting, what Jack Slack calls it, a lot of times, um, or a few times, that forced Cruz to shoot in with varying degrees of success. I thought it nullified Dominic Cruz's uppercut a little bit. The, the uppercut was not a big portion of this fight for Dominic Cruz, and I was kind of looking to see what that would do. Um, for me, those are some of the things that stood out. For you, when you went when you went, when, uh, went back and watched it, what would you like on the striking side of things? Uh, it was just really incredible to watch. I kind of felt like you every single little exchange, if you wanted to go, and, and when, now analysis to me, the fighting is getting so complicated mm-hmm. that uh, so quickly, and I think the sort of way we're presenting it to people because what's what's our real goal when we're analyzing things? My goal is to try to entertain somebody long enough that they learn something. My goal is never to go look at all of the things I know, and I'll, and this fight would be one to very easily go, hey, look. And take 25 minutes and take them second by second by second. But it's so overwhelming, I think, that the, if our motivation is to change the sport, our motivation is to like make people see how awesome it is so they don't see Alvarez and Pettis and boo that, then that, I think, has to be done in bite-sized chunks. And I think this fight, the big thing is if we can sort of take the, our view and lift it way up so that... It's hard for somebody to kind of understand what this wobble does to set something up. But if we take the big, broad, 30,000-feet picture and kind of figure it out, is Cruz is making it so that what you do is irrelevant. He's literally opting out of your games. So, uh, like, uh, Dillashaw has all kinds of games that work on both. Like, you know, little shell games that, like, like, uh, flim flam guys will use and they'll like have a ball underneath it and you have to guess where it is that's really hard to do against another magician which Cruz is 
But more than that, Cruz just literally says, I'm not playing your game. So like say that shell game, for example, whenever, and this one of, of hundreds of mini shell games that he's doing, every time that Dillashaw drops down, sometimes you'll see him touch the leg. That's a takedown. Or that's a right hand to the body from there. Or it's down into the uppercut. Or it's down and throw the left high kick. Mm. All of them from the exact same thing. So it's mm. a shell game. Which one of these things is coming at you, mm. right? And so it's hard to play that against another guy because Cruz will be like, well, it's in the third one. Or you have it palmed. Or it's in your pocket. You know, he knows where the ball is. But he, more than that, he literally backs up and says, I'm not playing the shell game. And so you put it on like a gurney and you chase after him. No, no, you have to play my shell game. And he's like, I'm not playing the shell game. And as you're chasing him, he pops you in the head. You're trying to get him to play your stupid little game. And he's like, you're, I have to agree to play your game for it to work. I'm not playing it. And so he just pops his way out, moves outside, gets you to chase him with that game. He literally opts out of your game. So now you must chase him. It's so wild. Like it's almost like the reason other guys don't do this is because it takes so much building to be good enough to do this so much footwork so much training so much understanding of distance so he's built this thing where he literally just won't play your game so your job is to chase him then you chase him and he shoots and and double legs you or he catches you from the outside or are you overextending these out and he pops back in so you're trying to force him to play a game he refuses to play or again those spinning plates you've got all these spinning plates and you're trying to hand them to him and he's got a bat and he just smashes them all down like he just won't play it and that to me is really, really hard to beat. I thought we would see assignments that Dwayne would have given him. So it's like whenever we see him move here, right. here are our three options. We will always meticulously choose these three things. But surprisingly, that wasn't the plan. The plan seemed to be more like uh, keep him in your in your uh, headlights. That's what uh, Jeremy Stevens described it to me as once. It's like the car has headlights and they're out here, and as long as we keep him inside those headlights mm -hmm. we can get to him but Cruz is just like nah I, I'm outside of your headlights I'm gonna be behind your car I'm gonna be way over here somewhere it was that big picture aspect of it to me was what I was really curious how will they solve the fact that he will refuse to play and they couldn't they couldn't quite solve it by rounds four and rounds five he was a little slower the leg kick seemed to be an answer when he had slowed but I don't think you could have made those work in round one it was almost like Cruz just outsmarts you and makes you play a different sport he also has like more cards like every time he plays a card you play a card he plays a card but it's not like that he plays a card you play a card even if you do your thing right he still has one more move at the end that he can make you know it's just that kind of big picture aspect to it to me that's what you have to solve which tool you use or how you get your kick on it or whatever is incidental to solving that big picture problem with Dominic Cruz. I don't know who will do it if, if Demetrius Johnson couldn't do it and TJ Dillashaw couldn't do it. TJ Dillashaw might get another chance, which I am all too happy to see how that one goes. Um, last thing I'll say about this on TJ Dillashaw, I thought, um, you know, all things considered, it's Dominic Cruz. TJ Dillashaw did a very respectable job, to yep. your point, of trying to corral him, again, to varying degrees of success. We're talking about a guy who is impossible to corral basically but especially those fourth and fifth rounds he was really able to land some bigger punches i think as a consequence of the fact that you know when you push dom against the fence that limits him pretty substantially not as much as it might you know somebody else but nevertheless it's still it's not good for his game um but you know what tj dillashaw never really got that big shot you know we know mm -hmm. cruz is not a big shot guy um 
and we know TJ Dillashaw is, and he never, I mean, there was, I guess, that one head kick, but it didn't really have that kind of effect, you know, so um, without that momentum, he just was kind of always having to chase or corral or, you know, do his own tricks, there's just a ceiling on that, you know, and if one guy's moving more and making you miss more, and by the way, I think I read, and don't hold me to this, I think I read Dillashaw missed 299 attempted strikes. That's amazing. That's, that is amazing. Right? That's crazy. Yeah, that's incredible. And 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 somehow, like if Mayweather did that, it's it is boring. And I love fighting, and I'll find it really interesting, and I'll marvel at it. But I have a harder time arguing with somebody who calls that boring. Nobody thought this was boring. Nobody. No. Yeah. But there was one interesting thing that you just mentioned that I just remembered when he backs him up against the fence. There were times he did back him up. And it felt like, okay, if you go that way, I'll kick you. If you go that way, I'll kick you. Or I'll throw the wide hook. So he literally had taken his car and he moved it up close so that the headlights were right there. And he never got a lot off. And I was watching, and I watched that back this morning. Watch this back. It'll, it'll really be interesting to you. So he does have him backed up, and he has him in his lights. But And Cruz kind of – what Cruz needs to do is make him not unload on me. I'm in his lights. I'm trapped. And Cruz did that by creating threats that were either real or imagined. Because if, if Cruz is ready there, TJ hesitated. And TJ hesitated not because anything was coming at him, but because there was the threat of something coming at him, and he's an intelligent guy who's been trained well. So Cruz used his real quality skills against him. Smart guys will go, he's about to fire I'll draw it out and then I'll unload on him. And Cruz just flinch tested him, like, you know, yoded him. He just yoded him in those corners until he had his little door to get out. And we'll go back and watch his two or three of them, I think maybe around rounds two, three, four. And he literally has him cornered. And it's just posture and threats that stop uh, uh, TJ from doing anything. Yeah. And that to me, it's amazing. that's another level. Dominic Cruz is like, what What would it be like if someone on the Harlem Globetrotters could actually play in the NBA? You know what I mean? Yeah, All these yeah, different moves great. and the ball goes this way and oh, whoop, right in front of you. And then it's just, you know, then there's a three-pointer right in front of you. Uh, we have yep. to we have to move on because we're a little okay, bit short Okay, I hate time. that we have so, to, but I know that we have to. So let's, we, we, we could talk about this for three hours. And the best part about this fight, to your point, I think it's a great point. This is just the day after this fight. We We need a couple of weeks to go through the footage yeah. and be like, oh, I see what's happening here. It's very, very difficult with a fight of this complicating value to really get get everything as it happened. But we have to punch through. So, yeah. in the co-main event, Eddie Alvarez defeated Anthony Pettis via split decision. 29-28, 28-29, 29-28. I have to say, I don't know how you feel. For me, a very disappointing performance from Anthony Pettis. Not that he looked horrible, but... I thought he was pot shotting. He wasn't throwing a lot of combinations. He was flat footed. He was reactionary. Um, you know, we're still how much how much improvement has he made in takedown defense relative to the Guida fight? And I understand people understand takedown defense. Learning it is not automatic. Believe me. But he's athletic. He's talented. He's young. He's got good trainers around him. I just feel like it shouldn't be this much of a liability. Last thing I'll say, and I'll, and I'll pass it to you. Now, he's got like Paul Daly takedown defense, which is to say he can stop your takedown. When you push him against the fence, but he has no ability, seemingly at least not not enough, to create separation. And easier said than done, I get it. But as long as your back is against that fence, yeah, you're not on your in your rear end. You might as well be because you're just not doing enough. The guy is stealing the round from you. What were your thoughts about how Eddie Alvarez? Excuse me, Anthony Pettis looked. 
Yeah, uh, you've worked with Duke, right? Yeah. And uh, yeah. and I really like Duke. I think we're friends. And I have a feeling if he was being honest, and I called him up, and I and I don't know that he would say this. Anthony's like, it is his family. But I was like, Duke, has he been training at, at his hardest? Has he? Did he take that seriously after Dos Anjos beat him and go back and say, I'm going to be the best guy in the world and outwork everybody in the gym, or has he been slacking? I have a feeling if he would tell me the truth, and I have a feeling he wouldn't in this case, he'd say, you know, Anthony hasn't been in the gym that much. Anthony's been showing up, doing some spin kicks, jumping around, whatever, and he just really hasn't been working that hard. And like I said, I don't think he'd say that, but I have a feeling that's what's going on. I really do. Anthony's made a, you know, a couple looks in the low millions. He's a cool dude, man, and he's a good-looking guy, and he's fun to be around, and he's kind of a star, and he's certainly a star in Milwaukee. He owns a couple of Taekwondo gyms. He's been the WEC champion and the UFC champion. He has that forever. Does he have that intensity to just now go back and beat absolutely everybody? His body said that he wasn't training to the same level as he was before. Yeah. You go back side by side him. This is a lean, like, you know, um, panther of a man. And then, you know, he looked pretty fit. Better than you or I, you know, but not better than, than Alvarez. And on the other hand... If hard work beats talent when, when talent doesn't work hard, I think that's what that fight was. Mm. I really do think that's what that fight was. Because Eddie Alvarez comes to fight with every fiber of his being like it's the last fight he's ever going to have. You can't hurt him no matter what you do. And he you can't make him quit and you can't make him stop doing what he wants to do. And I, I felt like that's what the fight looked like. As far as him defending those takedowns, this is my thought on, on these kinds of things often. It's very hard. Like These things aren't binary, and they're not in a vacuum. Sometimes we, we look at them, and we try to categorize all of these different areas as, well, this area was the thing in play. But I know if you push me against the fence, I turn my hips, I take the little crack of my foot, and I wedge it in the mat. I try to get either underneath you, or on top of your head and drive you down. So I either want you all the way down or pull you all the way up. The, and there's li those little tricks. Go back and watch. You'll see the blade of his foot will wedge between the, the fabric and the cage and turn hard sideways and get to work. And he did all of those things. The, the, the issue is that those things do not automatically work. At every little stage, there's a fight. So I need the underhook. I must fight for that underhook. That underhook, he knows I need that underhook. We know he needs that underhook, so Eddie will fight that. I want the back of his head. Well, there's a fight there. He's, he wants to rotate his head out of there. He wants to get out of there. I, he knows that I want A, B, C, and D to get his head down, or E, F, G, H, and I to get him all the way up. Once I do, I get my second. All of these stages are known to us, and they're known to the guy he's trying to stop. So every one of those is a fight. And if you can't win every one of those fights, and you can't win them against guys who fight those fights better than you, so if, if I need that one underhook to get it, he knows I need it, that fight right there, if I lose that fight, I'm screwed. It's like the short run in football. You need everybody in line to create those little holes, add the ball, and send the thing up. And it also should be enjoyed like that. We've just all done a pretty bad job of making the audience understand all of these steps. We fight in there, and then we stack his vertebrae under his chin. We fight for inside bicep control. That's one football player trying to fight there. Each of these positions are little spots of one guy on the football team, so we can get our knee and smash him, or we can run a play on the outside. And uh, he just couldn't win those. And he couldn't win those because I don't think he worked as hard as Alvarez. And let's add three years of him working on winning those. 
Alvarez, who's already got a better uh, pad on winning those little battles, he adds three years on winning them again. And you, you playing catch up, you literally must outwork and outthink somebody who's better than you in those spots forever until you pass them. And I don't think Anthony's doing that. It's just so surprising how flat-footed he was. You know, when you think of someone like Cruz, I don't think Pettis could take what Cruz is doing and bring it into his game. But when you think about how hard Cruz is to corral and push against the fence, Cruz never has to fence wrestle except for more than five seconds, you know. Because he, and it's those threats. Again, he understands the issue isn't I need to beat him up coming forward. I just need to make him stop. When And again, I don't know a lot about football, but I'm trying to find analogies no, it that works. will help make people see things if i drop back and i pretend i'm gonna pass the whole defense doesn't run out and then i pass off the ball but they might freeze for a moment and that might be all i need to pass the ball off and that's what what cruz was doing he just faked the throw long enough that the defense froze and he understands those things and pettis is a genius and i'm like the biggest anthony pettis fan i like him personally i think he's the coolest dude when i grow up i want to be anthony pettis you know but (laughs) He didn't look like you look at all the improvements Cruz made, understanding, fighting, thinking, reverse engineering stuff, all of these things. Everything Connor does in between fights where we go, oh, he can't handle Mendez, and then he does, and then he knocks out. Right. These guys, we're at a level of of super learning, of hyper learning. And this isn't just true of fighting. Go in tech, go in any thing in the world there's so much information there's the ability to understand information there's the ability to improve how you learn all of that is happening and if you aren't doing that right now in whatever it is you do other people are doing that you know you got to innovate every single day and you got to outwork everybody else around you and that's true of whatever field you're in let's keep going we got to punch through these travis brown defeating matt mitrion via tko punches at 409 of the third round not a whole lot to say about this one mitrion i thought was look we can get into the whole fence grabbing thing. We simply don't have after uh, the eye poke. Excuse me. We simply yeah. don't have time. For me, the the, the big takeaway was I, I appreciated Mitrion darting in, but in the end, there wasn't a lot of jabbing, which I really think is kind of essential to set up everything else, including not just other striking opportunities, but any kind of clinch opportunities, any kind of corralling opportunities, any kind of wrestling opportunities. Um, the darting worked initially. When it didn't, he had no other answer. But for me, the big one on the floor, the the mount is a lost art, and we have clear proof that Travis Brown, despite the fact that he is, yes, very big, a very nice technical mount, um, very patient mount, really enjoyed that. For you? Yeah, I did too. Uh, did you notice that either he broke his collarbone or, or grade two dislocated his shoulder? Did you I did at the time, but I heard about it. Yeah, and right at the time, I'm yelling at the, and my wife was sleeping, so that was, I, and my dog too, he got up and started barking, but I started yelling at the, the ref, which doesn't make any sense because it's a television, he clearly cannot hear me, but uh, when, when uh, Brown got, and I got my shoulder um, uh, separated this exact way, it's the most common way. You got corralled up, and his arm is taken, and then you get lifted up, and you get driven down on that shoulder. And it's 500-plus pounds, both of you. So immediately he rolled over, and this bone was either a broken collarbone sticking out or a real serious grade two or three separation. And at that point, the fight's over. Ref didn't see it at all. And, uh, and Mitrion tried to hang out in that fight. But, yeah, the mount is a beautiful thing. The mount's still the second most dominant or the third most. You know, getting somebody's back is the second most. And getting his back and flattening him is probably the most. But the mount is, like, there are guys, a lot of lighter weight guys, people are getting back to the mount. Because there's that weird thing that happens in fighting. I, I, you, you close your guard, so I do a can opener. And now... Can opener opens guards. That's great. Anytime you close your guard, I do a can opener opens. And then the next guy, well, you can armbar me in a can opener. So you armbar me, no more can openers. 
there's some no more can openers. You just solve the problem of the armbar. And the mount was kind of the same thing. You, uh, the mount was great, except for you got bucked off. So no more mount. We got to go to half guard. No, you just solve the problem of bucking off. And now guys, thing is, they just surf it. They surf it, and when they come back down, they 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 drive their hips forward and their shoulder back. When they come back down, they come down with punches. Pretty soon, you don't want to hip bump people if every time you do, you get drilled. Uh, or the low mount with the shoulder pressure point his head that way. He cannot throw you that way, so he can only throw you that way, so you extend your arm. There's little answers to everything, and that's now at, in fighting, everybody has them, which is why people have to innovate. If, if the right thing done to you will make you lose, then we got to either stop that thing or find an answer to it. And that's happening every week, every single week in fighting. But yeah, I, I, I digress. Uh, uh, Brown's mount was brilliant, and that's, that's how you finish a guy. Yeah, actually, that's a good call. He, he knew he had it and didn't rush it and had it just on time. So in the interest of time, we're almost out of time. I'm going to do this. I'm going to pick one fight from the card that I really want to – I don't have a whole lot of time, but I just want to note one thing. You can do the same. I'm going to pick Paul Felder defeating Darren Cruikshank. Uh, third round rear naked choke. You know, Cruikshank, boy, that, that front leg uh, sidekick to the face was kind of nice from Cruikshank. Cruikshank has a really nice, uh, interesting striking arsenal that, you know, when he, ha- he faces another striker, you can kind of see it come to life. But for me, that rear naked choke in the third, it was, it was good opportunism. Um, proactive offense by Felder, and I went back and I watched it. I'd never seen this before, actually. When he had the choke, you can see Phil, uh, Cruikshank doing the right thing, fingers in, trying to turn into the choke, and Felder does this interesting bit where as he cranks the elbow off-center, it just slides on in. That was kind of cool. Right? Nice hustle from Paul Felder. Nice just squeezing the life out of him and then getting that angle just to slide into the groove. For you, was yeah, it that fight cool. or was it another fight? Well, uh, uh, just to that one, was it him or somebody else who pulled up on the nose to get the choke underneath? I don't recall uh, him doing that this time. Somebody, was there another rear naked choke on there? Luke Sanders. Yeah, Luke yep. Sanders. He's got him down there like that. And as you're going to slide it in, it, it just if anyone's watching this, just try this. Go and it hurts. Up on your it hurts nose. so bad. It really, it really hurts. And so what choice do you have? Oh, actually, no. Okay, I'll talk about this one amazing again it's either this they blended into my mind it's either this one or the sanders rear naked choke or the chris wade no it was the chris wade one i think guys down and you push down on his head so when a guy pushes on your head what's your natural reaction to go like this and then you get under it i forget which guy was i just noted that i think that was chris wade because chris wade had uh baghdad like totally flat and then he drove him down and then snatched the arm underneath so then it was maybe Sanders. But I, I I forget. It was just a little thing that I noted. You press down on the back. You want a guy to do anything. You want a guy to move his head this way. Just press it that way. He'll move it, right? <laughs> just natural. Super smart. Uh, the only thing that I kind of noticed on the undercard that I really enjoyed, I li- really liked Rob Font. And I really, I'm a huge fan of Charles Rosa. And uh, Chainsaw Charles McCarthy is a good friend. And he's super high on this guy. But they were like two different things of the same idea working in reverse. Rosa goes to his, every time he went to the southpaw stance, people are now talking about changing stances all the time. But when you change stance, great, my, my sidekick works really well. But defensively, I'm not good now. I've given up a defensive uh, qualities to do that. And he got hit with the right hand over and over by this guy in his debut fight. And so you have to be able to learn. That's what Cruz does so well. He micro-learns. He doesn't just learn round to round. He learns phrase to phrase within the fight but 
So he kept getting hit with the right hand over and over, and yet he stayed in there. Now, he did end up winning the fight, which was awesome, uh, because that just shows why uh, Chainsaw Charles and all those guys are so high on him, because despite the fact that there were some issues, he found the way. But Rob Font, on the other hand, figured out that as over and over, it was the left hook. So he learned, okay, this is my answer. As I go, he moves out to his right. All I got to do is intercept. There was almost like a lower-level developing guy, cruise punch, I'm not throwing a left hook here. I'm throwing a left hook where his head's going to be over there. And it was really slick. And don't undercard fights now, you, this, those fights go back three years. The skill level is better than, you know, most of the main card fights three years ago. It just is. Oh, it's totally different. Hey, you know? hey, Robin, I hate to do this. I yeah. have to go. We're on a time crunch. We have to get all the yeah, way no to worries, the studio. Dude, we could do this for two, three hours. Here's what we'll do. Let's have you back on again sometime soon. And we'll put no time limit on it because that's what we yeah. need. we have too okay, we, cool. we, we just don't have enough time. So I hear you, Robin. Thank you so much. You can catch all the stuff on the fight work. You can follow him on Twitter and Facebook and everywhere else. I appreciate today's call. Thank you so much, my friend. Thank you, man. Thank you so much. And yeah, I'd love to do it again. We'll take a couple hours. We'll have a beer. Thank you so much, my friend. Talk to you soon. Cheers. Thanks. Bye. Bye. All right. Very quickly, part three. We'll just jump through this. Um, the next event will be January 23rd, so the following Saturday, World Series of Fighting 27. Not a whole lot on this card. Luis Firmino is back, taking on Carlos Fodor. That's of note. Uh, but the real big one is uh, Terry Holder taking on Shamil uh, Gamzatov. That is a uh, prospect on the rise in Gamzatov, so that's one worth paying attention to. The weekend after that will be uh, Bellator 148. That'll be on July 29th. That's Paul Daly versus Andy, I guess you pronounce it, Ulrich, Ulrich, Ulrich whatever. Uh, Paul Bradley's back versus Chris Honeycutt. Remember the first time they had a disqualification because of headbutt, or at least a no contest anyway. Rafael Butler taking on Tony Johnson, and then Patricky Freire taking on Ryan Couture. That'll be on Spike TV. And I believe there'll be a UFC event after that. I believe it's the um, Bader event. If I'm not mistaken, let me just verify that real quick. Uh, let's see here. Yeah, January 30th at the Prudential Center. It'll be on that main card or UFC on Fox 18. Anthony Johnson taking on Ryan Bader, Josh Barnett, Ben Rothwell, uh, Yuri Alcantara, or Yuri uh, Alcantara, however you want to pronounce it, taking on Jimmy Rivera, and then Sage Northcutt taking on Andrew Holbrook. So that should be kind of interesting as well. Other fights on that card, Tarek Safdie and Jake Ellenberger, and so on, and Dustin Ortiz versus Wilson Hayes. That's a good one as well. Um, so that should be kind of fun. So thank you so much for watching. Again, 40 minutes, not enough, but we'll make it happen again. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Uh, give it a thumbs up if you can. Let folks know that you enjoyed it. Share it around on social media. Um, please leave a comment if you enjoyed it as well. Thank you so much. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at SBN Luke Thomas. Email me Luke.Thomas at SBNation.com. And until next time, ladies and gentlemen, enjoy the fights.